Well, hello again and welcome to another edition of Two Ways News. I'm Tony Payne. And I'm Philip Jensen. It's great to have you with us here again. And Philip, we've done some controversial things in the past, over the past many months. Um, Never. But none so controversial as the one we recorded a couple of weeks ago about people's taste in coffee. Oh, we've had, really? We've had some great emails back from people saying, you know, this is clearly the most controversial issue you've touched on in the last two years. You know, you're coming after my coffee. <laughs> Touch the sacred cow. <laughs> it turns out to be beans, coffee beans. Coffee beans. Yeah, we had a lot of very positive feedback about that episode. Um, but we're going on to something that you could also say is sort of somewhat controversial today, and that is the modernization of the church. People always are saying that we need to modernize the church. And there's sort of this, you can sell it immediately that there's some truth in that idea, possibly, but also often the way it's framed kind of frustrates us. So Christians sometimes call for the modernization of the church. So I saw a survey recently done of some Church of England ministers in the UK, and I think it wasn't a great survey. I think the way it was conducted was probably a bit skewed. But the results, of course, made a splash because a, a great number of these Church of England ministers were saying that the church needed to modernise its attitudes, especially to sexuality, to sex before marriage and same-sex relationships and so on. If it wanted to have any hope of being relevant in the 21st century, we have to modernise our attitudes. And it's a common sort of refrain, isn't it, that the church yes. needs to get with it. Oh, I saw it the other night on the ABC here in Australian our Broadcasting Commission, and followed up with the article in the Sydney Morning Herald again saying uh, the need for modernisation, together with some letters coming into the newspapers, all along the line that we old-fashioned traditionalists, conservatives, all of which are negative words, and the need to be modern and with it and be on the right side of history. What sort of issues do they say we're on the wrong side of history about? Like, what are the issues that they say we should modernise? Well, they tend to be on the gender sexuality issues, don't they? Like the ordination of women or the role of women in churches or the inclusion of homosexuality inside the Christian church, inside who we ordain and uh, who we marry. It's those kinds of issues. And what's going to be the consequence? Or what's the basis of this argument? And why are they concern because very often it's people outside the church who are calling for this well it, it's a couple of things one one is uh, the the morality issue uh, certain people see these things as right versus wrong and that we are wrong and that's a that's a debate worth having as to whether these things are right or wrong and therefore what behavior we should follow but more commonly it's the pragmatism the argument is put in terms of, well, look at the declining numbers of the church and the church is becoming more and more out of touch with society. And especially the young people. Ah, especially the young people, yeah, <laughs> that's right. And so we keep on saying, well, if you can't have young people, you won't have the next generation in church unless you change your ways and so on. However, I think those are cover-ups for the view of right and wrong, that is, People think the view of divorce and remarriage, the view of sexuality, is really a matter of we're wrong, they're right. But they argue in terms of the pragmatism of you're becoming out of touch and unreal and so on. Because the intuition of right and wrong or the argument from Scripture is beyond them. So it sounds from what you're saying that this kind of call for modernisation is is something we should resist. So it sounds like you're against modernisation. Well, <laughs> no, in some ways, in many ways, modernisation is needed, isn't it? I mean, we don't want to live in a time warp. 
you think of the Amish in, in America and you think that they're living in a different world, they're not even here. And there are churches, there are some denominations which are using ancient languages that people are no longer speaking. You can go to certain churches where, you know, it's 5th century version of the language, which the congregation do not understand what the words are being meant. You, you want to move ahead to say nothing is of technological advantages. I don't like sitting in the dark when electric lights are available to us. And I don't think using candles helps in seeing. Likewise, microphones. You know, I mean, there's so many parts of the technology that is developed that I think we just take for granted in a sense, but it's part of modernisation. It's not just technology that changes, though, too. That language changes, doesn't it? I mean, it's it's in terms of language, surely there's some sort of modernisation that's necessary. Well, yes, language doesn't stay still, does it? The French try and keep French still, but the beauty of English is its constant evolution, its constant taking in of new words, new concepts. And so the prayer book that I've grown up with, I think you did too. Indeed, yes. It's 17th century or 16th century language, modified a bit in the 17th century, but, you know, language has changed. One of the ones I've always loved is that collect, prevent us, O Lord, in all our doings. Um, and further us with thy continual help. Yes, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. Because the word prevent means to stop. Prevent us, Lord, in all our doings. Stop us doing anything. <laughs> For some of us, that might be an improvement. But it could be. We could, well, certainly other people, you could think, I wish the Lord would answer Would that. prevent them. <laughs> yes. But, of course, the word prevent meant to go in front of. So go before us in all our doings. And your, the next line is... And further us with thy continual help. That see, in all our works, begun, continued, and ended in thee, and so on, so on. Yes. So it's a, it's a, it's a great prayer. But prevent, as the very first word, really, it needs to change. We need to modernise. Okay, so you are in favour of modernisation. No, not really, because modernisation is itself a wrong thing. I mean, we've got to follow traditions. The word tradition is not a bad word. It's a New Testament word that there are certain traditions that have been handed on. The, The handing on of the gospel was something that Paul could speak of in traditional terms, that Christ died for our sins and rose again. It's something that is handed on, not to be changed. So Paul can write to Timothy about guarding the gospel, but it's more than just guarding the gospel, it's guarding the pattern of sound words that express the gospel. And so the challenge with the Colossians, you've started with Christ Jesus as Lord, do not now be captured off to philosophies or empty deceit and human, in that case, traditions. So there's a certain sense of what has been handed on is to be retained and to be preserved. Christianity is not just an endless evolution of new ideas. Jesus Christ died once for all. In many various ways, God spoke by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken by his son. And so there's no theological development beyond the apostles. It's why we contend for the faith that was given once for all to the yes. saints, to God's holy people. There's a there's a givenness and finality to what was given. And so Paul is constantly saying, pass on. That's what the word tradition means in the New Testament. It just means to pass on or deliver something from someone to someone else. Yeah. Make sure you're delivering and passing on the good stuff, the true tradition, the right patterns of words, the good deposit, and make sure you pass it on to someone who can in turn pass it on to somebody else and somebody else. There's a great kind of relay of 
the good sound words. And that, that sense to change that, to divert from what we're supposed to pass on is just unfaithfulness. It is unfaithfulness. And it's not only Paul, of course, as you when your quote there is Jude, isn't it? Jude mm-hmm. three or four. So it's the very nature of the gospel. It is a given that has come. But it's more also. Our job as Christians and Christian evangelists, for example, is not to follow society, but to lead society. It's not to follow culture, but to lead culture, to call upon culture and society to repent and change and live a different way. And so when we live in a society that is culturally walking away from God, which is where the Western civilization is at the moment, to follow that culture and society is to walk away from God. And so the last thing we want in a so-called modern Western democratic society is to modernise in terms of being part of the modern Western democratic society. It's There's almost an assumption in the modernised kind of framework that culture is constantly evolving to a better and better yes, it, form. and so Evolution is always progressively upwards, isn't yes, it? Yes, and so yes. change is always change for the better. So if you want to get with it, and be part of the future, you need to change like the rest of us are all changing in order to be the, like the rest of us and succeed and to, and to be in the right, to be on the right side of history and so on. Whereas in the Bible, culture, we think of culture as either normal or as positive generally in the, in the West. In the Bible, culture is the way humans organise themselves in rejection and rebellion against God. It almost always has, well, it always has, that negativity about it because it's the way we organise our relationships and everything we do apart from and in rebellion against God. Yes, and and you only have to have a bit of history to realise what a mistake it is. I mean, if we'd followed in the late 19th, early 20th century, eugenics... Which was the culture at the time. It was the scientifically-based culture of the time. Based in evolution. (laughs) But it was disastrous. And awfully racist. Terrible. Let's get rid of the less developed races and the less developed people and evolve our species into its superior form. Well, that that hardly ended in a good place in terms of a philosophy. It ended in in Nazi Germany, really. Christians were ridiculed in, in local magazines like the Bulletin. They were ridiculed for insisting on the fact that we're all humans, we're of the same blood. One blood was the great cry. And we were ridiculed for standing against the progress of culture at that time. But the other side of it is the pragmatic argument is also proven to be untrue. The whole business that if we follow the culture of the day, if we modernise, if we catch up with where people are at, suddenly our churches will be full, especially of young people, has patently untrue. It's untrue in terms of just think about the process, but it's also untrue in numerical facts. Why go to church if church is following the culture? I'm not going to church now. Church is caught up with this culture. Well, that proves I was right in not going to church. I'm not going to suddenly go to church because church is now believing what the unbelievers believe. That's a ridiculous notion. And that, in principle, you see, in fact, wherever churches have followed the culture of the day, got itself modernised, the numbers, they may have increased marginally quickly in the first moment, but they decline very rapidly after that and permanently. You only have to look at the Uniting Church in Australia, which over the last 30, 40 years has been desperately trying to keep up with culture and has adopted each of the kinds of things that Sydney Anglicans are called upon that we should be adopting. To See, the numbers in the Uniting Church have declined steadily 
and the age of people going to the Uniting Church has been climbing steadily. They don't have the young people. In fact, their youth campsites are being sold off because they don't have ministries amongst those youth anymore. And that pattern is true in Anglicanism. It's true. Those parts of the Anglican Church which have most firmly embraced the modernist culture are the ones that are the emptiest today. And those that have maintained the the traditions of the gospel and the words of God are the ones that are continuing to grow. Sydney Diocese, which is so often attacked, is the one that is growing the most in the Australian scene. Sounds like modernisation is complicated then, because in one sense you were saying earlier we can't avoid it. It's something that you don't want to be stuck in a time warp. And yet modernisation in terms of adjusting our beliefs and the faith and the teaching of the Bible to fit with contemporary culture is a fool's errand and not something we should be engaged in. But So it sounds like it's complicated. Yeah, it is complicated. Take just one illustration, language, because that's one that you and I work on. You as a writer, me as a preacher, we, we are constantly working on. Language is always changing. One of the great periods of change was the Reformation. It, it, funny, it wasn't a change, it was a holding it still because the printing press gave standardisation to English, as it did to German and other to, languages. To spelling, for example. The idea that there'd be one way to spell a word yes. really comes post the printing press, post the idea that you could have books that disseminate that have the one spelling. Yes. I'm sorry I didn't always learn that one spelling, but yes, <laughs> quite so. Now, it was also the structure of the grammar fitted in. It was much easier to have books on grammar when you had a standard thing like the King James Version by which you could establish what English grammar is or should be. Grammar, of course, is a really important subject because it's the logic of language. Language is an informal logic system. It's not like maths, which is a formalised logic system. It's an informal logic system. But it is the system by which we think. For when we think, we think in words. And grammar is how these different words connect to each other. So, you know, kind of pronouns and nouns, adverbs and adjectives, that kind of grammar that was taught in the Department of Education here in New South Wales when I was a child, but has not been taught for 30 or 40 years, was the very nature of how we understand the world with some degree of commonality, some degree of control and accuracy. That meant the language itself was an important expression, especially when the Bible was a big part of it, that we had biblical ways of thinking because we had biblical language because the Bible... Pretty decisively shaped the way our language developed. Yes. Shaped its structures, shaped its vocabulary, shaped the way we talked and communicated with each other was, was quite heavily influenced by the fact that the King James Bible and the Book of Common Prayer were the two books that defined English and shaped English for centuries. And you could use words like redemption or atonement. and They would be understandable within the English framework fairly easily. But of course, grammar hasn't been taught for a generation and has led, I think, to a decline in literacy. But more than that, at the same time, there's been this wonderful rise in visual media. Firstly, of course, through the picture theatres, but then through television and now through the internet, etc. And that weakens language considerably. That interesting book that came out in the 90s, 
the amusing ourselves to death. Oh, in Neil Postman's book. Neil Postman, which pointed out the decline in language in the newspapers and the increase in pictures in the newspapers. And so pictures weaken logic, for they replace logic with feeling, with buzzwords, images, memes, uh, virtual signals, uh, brevity. And so modern English has moved very much to brevity. Even our Bibles don't have long sentences, such as the Greek had in its original, such as our old translations had. Now we just have sentences of subject, verb, object. And the connections between the sentences have been lost, just replaced with a full stop, which means the logic of the argument has been seriously undermined. Made worse by the kind of postmodern deconstructionism, which rejects that there is a logic to language. The logic is Donald Trump. (laughs) You just say whatever you want to say to win the audience over to your viewpoint. So in a sense, you're saying that modernisation is complicated because not every development within our modern culture, even seemingly neutral developments like how we communicate with each other, communication media and so on, even though we use those media, we interact with them, they're not evil. And yet... They have an influence on how we think and how we communicate and the direction of our culture, for example, away from a culture that was built on the King James Bible, so to speak, towards a more visual culture, a more affectionate, feelings-based culture that's expressed in how we communicate and so on. This means that modernization isn't a neutral topic all the time. It's, it's sometimes a move away from a way of thinking and talking about our world that's shaped by the gospel. Yes. Well, Marshall McLuhan, and the medium is the message. It's a, it, it was a struggle when I first heard that as a phrase, when he put that book out. I don't know when that was. It was a long time ago. It was ago. in the 60s. In the 60s, was it? Mm. Um, and I first heard I thought, well, how can the medium be the message? It didn't make sense. But the longer you live, the more the message is the medium and the medium is the message. We must get back to this at some point because you're triggering off a, a little rant I wouldn't mind doing at some point about the use of PowerPoints in sermons. But let's let's come back to that <laughs> and the dominance of image in sermons. But let's come back to that. Let's come back to modernisation. It's complicated. Yes, it is complicated. And it's been made more complicated because language used to change from the bottom up. Just as people spoke differently, took on new words, and and gradually over time the dictionaries noticed these changes. But today, something else is happening. That is, from the top down, we're being told how to speak. Government departments, the ABC and the like, are putting out statements about which pronouns we're allowed to use or not allowed to use in accordance with their ideologies and their philosophies. And the language is being destroyed in this. So the use of the word pronoun they means plural, but now it's being used so as to avoid gender. So we now have an individual being called they, which has changed the logic of how we're supposed to think by government fiat. It's, it's a different kind of change. So given the complications of modernisation... In one sense, it's necessity. We can't live in a time warp. And yet, simply to go with the flow of culture in all kinds of ways, as we've been discussing, is a false trail. Is modernisation the wrong way to think about it? Yeah, I'm sure it is. I'm sure that's the problem. See, traditionalism is not always right. Mark chapter 7, Jesus attacks people following the traditions rather than the word of God. And those who want to just go back to traditions and hang on traditions, 
you're not actually walking by the word of God to do that. On the other hand, traditionalism is right. <laughs> so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 that he's really pleased they've followed the traditions they've handed on. And in 2 Thessalonians, he talks not only the traditions of words, but also behaviour. So traditionalism is neither right nor wrong. And I think modernisation is neither right nor wrong. So therefore, to divide what we're doing in terms of modernism or traditionalism is the wrong way to think. Well, how should we think then as we confront a constantly changing world, changing language, changing patterns, and changing technologies? How do we think about what should change, what shouldn't change? Well, certainly not in terms of modernisation in a pagan world. Whereas the media pushes us, it's almost by definition the wrong way because they're pushing us away from God. And so we don't want to go that way. Also, we don't necessarily want to follow cultures because some cultures differ from us. And when we try and evangelise like missionaries in those cultures, it's complicated, it's difficult. And when our own culture keeps changing, it's going to be difficult too. But there are certain things about life which never change, like creation. We're still having babies. You know, there's fathers, there's mothers, there's brothers, there's sisters. But even there, sin, sin destroys and distorts everything, even family life. And so the church is to be led by shepherds. Shepherds who teach the word of God. That's what we've got to do. Teaching the word of God in order to edify. That means in certain subjects like how I dress, well, there are certain elements about clothing, modesty, both in terms of its exhibition of wealth and its exhibition of sexuality. Modesty will be affected, you know. But by and large, most of the kind of cultural symbols, the, the music your life, the kind of way you wear your shoes, really doesn't matter. The Bible doesn't talk about them. In fact, the Bible's very free about, you know, one man counts one day more important than another, another man counts... It's, don't let people rule judgments over you on these matters in Romans 14 or 1 Corinthians 9. We have enormous amounts of freedom to live in accordance with our families, in accordance with our culture. But we have to preserve gospel truths and we have to preserve the worldview that comes out of those gospel truths. And even more, we've got to promote and teach those gospel views in opposition to the world, both in terms of evangelism to call the world to repent and holiness in terms of living differently for God. And so our church must be edifying us in Christ-likeness of life. It's as if language keeps shifting and changing as we find new ways to talk about reality, but the reality doesn't change because it's a created reality. Yes. And our problems with the reality we live in are all different in their in their manifestations because our sinfulness and our rebellion against God has all kinds of shapes and, and takes all kinds of forms. But underneath it all, there is a, a stability to the way the world is because God created it that way and created us that way. And it's why the gospel is so translatable. Yes. It's why you can go to a different place, to a different culture with a different history, and before too long, you can find words to talk about the reality that you share. Words that are comprehensible to the hearer. Yes. Because, in a sense, the words are called forth by the reality. The words are the way we find to talk about the reality that is there. And even though in different cultures we get that wrong and we go down our own rabbit holes, the stubborn reality that's underneath everything about us and God and the world and the way things are and who we are and how we relate to God, those are things we can talk about in any language. 
Yes, but it is easier in some than others. Because of the way those languages have developed. That's right. Because of the role of the Reformation, it has been easier in English than in other languages. But as English shifts and moves with our media pushing away from the gospel, it's becoming harder. And there'll be some concepts that we have to talk about, biblical concepts, that get harder to talk about in English. Yes. Because of the way our culture is changing. Yeah. That doesn't mean we stop talking about those concepts, those realities. We just have to work a little harder in That's those right. concepts. That's right. Some years ago, we were in a mission at New South Wales University on reconciliation. I was called in by the, some of the authorities at the university and told that this was a very rude thing to do because I had taken hold of the Indigenous Australians' word and that it wasn't right for Christians to be using the word reconciliation when it was a word of Indigenous relationships. I had difficulty in explaining to them that the use of the word for indigenous relationships actually came out of Christianity and out of the Bible, <laughs> that it was our word first, so to speak. But they, they accepted it begrudgingly, but still wanted me not to use the word reconciliation because it was insulting to Aborigines. It was an appropriation of their word. Yes, an appropriation is a better way of saying it. And remembering that there's more Christians amongst the Aborigines than the whitefellas in Australia... It really was very sad. So the way forward really is the way that Paul calls for in, in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, for example. It's to keep pursuing edification in a language that's intelligible for the people. Yes, that's right. Whether it's modernised or whether it's traditional. It's the truth expressed in language that people can understand so that hearing the, the sound of the trumpet clearly, they can hear the call and respond to it. That's it. That's a good spot for us to round off, I think, Philip. Thanks for taking us through this thinking about modernisation because we do come across this all the time and we're often made to feel as Christians that we're kind of behind the times, old-fashioned people who need to get with it. But it's a far more complex subject than that and very often that call for modernisation is not the call we need to hear. Right, right. Why don't you close in prayer for okay. us? Heavenly Father, we do thank and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the word of the gospel that has come to us. We thank you for those who laboured over us in teaching us that word. And we do pray, Heavenly Father, that you would help us all to be so proclaiming your gospel, so teaching your word, as to accurately present it to the hearers, that those who hear your word by your Holy Spirit might come to new life and grow into Christ-likeness of character, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 